This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. It's the Mike Missanelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. Well, good afternoon, everybody. It is the Mike Missanelli podcast brought to you by Bet Rivers. And this is a, a funeral podcast, a post-mortem podcast, because you're feeling like everybody else who follows the Eagles or who covers the Eagles is feeling. Last night's loss to the Seattle Seahawks, 20-17, to 17, will go down in the annals as one of the worst regular season losses this franchise has ever had. Uh, why? Well, we'll explain why in a minute. How? Let's get into that. The Eagles actually allowed a quarterback named Drew Locke to take his team 92 yards down the field in a minute and 24 after the Eagles had a 17 to 13 lead. Now, if you give any team that circumstance and say they got to go 92 and they got to go 92 with Drew Locke, a good team is going to laugh at a scenario like that. A good team is going to go, that ain't happening. That guy is not taking this team 92 yards down the field. And yet he did. Now, this is a quarterback who averaged during the game five yards per attempt with his pass. And all of a sudden, he comes out like Superman and he hits two third and down monster plays, one that DK Metcalf made a great catch on in double coverage. The other beats James Bradbury, who got beat all night and who's been beaten all season. And Jackson Smith, the Jigba, makes a fingertip catch to stun the Eagles with a touchdown. Now, let's go back to how they were in that situation in the first place to illustrate where the Eagles are now in a state of flux, because everything they do doesn't work. Everything they do works against them. The reason why they got into that kind of a score scenario where Seattle could score a touchdown to win the game is because minutes earlier, they had a challenge play. Nick Sirianni challenges a fourth, a fourth down play from the Seattle Seahawks, which proved but the quarterback's knee was down before he threw an incompleted pass. That backed up Seattle to the point where they were going to go for it on fourth and two at that situation, but they backed up five yards, and then they had to kick a field goal. So that put three points on the board for Seattle instead of risking or counting on your defense to actually stop a fourth and two, which I believe at that time they would have because they stopped the previous one. And the only way they got a first down is because Bradbury had a pass interference. So that, the sound logic, and most people would say that sound logic, of backing them up and, and taking that knee there to, to the point where they have to kick a field goal there, winds up biting him in the butt. This is the way it's going for the Eagles right now. 
And what I witnessed last night, and this was before the game, I, I never, ever thought that the Eagles would be capable of losing any game on the rest of the schedule, including that one last night. I am now convinced that this combobulated team this panicky team, this desperate team that's trying to get away with aftermarket parts that panically changed the defensive coordinator to cause all kinds of uh, doubt and rancor within the, the locker room. This team could lose to anybody. And that's two games with the Giants, one game with the Cardinals. I would not be shocked if they lost any one of those games. But let's round it up and say, even if they do, sweep the rest of the year and get the number two seed, which would happen still if they swept the rest of the year. There is no way that anybody possibly that's seeing this team play now can believe that they could be a viable playoff team. What we witnessed last night was the loss of hope. And that's a terrible thing because in life and in sports, all you have to hold on to is hope. Especially if you're a sports fan, the hope of a preseason magic where you can actually get to a Super Bowl and maybe even win a Super Bowl, that was dashed last night. Because the reality is, no matter who they play in the playoffs, and I'm even talking about the first round, and I'm even talking about if it's a, they're the number two seed and they have a home game, they could lose their first round game. And right now, as it stands, it would be against the Rams. The number two seed at home, home field advantage against the seven-seeded Rams. Are you feeling comfortable that they can win that game? Absolutely not. Are you feeling comfortable they could possibly win the second game they play? Absolutely not. And you're certainly completely checked out that they could possibly beat the San Francisco 49ers. This season has gone sour. It is like milk that you forgot about in the top shelf of your refrigerator. And all of a sudden, you, you, you try to get a bologna sandwich and, and you open the door and it, it stanks in there. And that's because you forgot about the milk, which was tucked behind the, the Diet Coke. And that's what the Eagles are now. They are spoiled milk. And there apparently doesn't seem to be a way out of this because the quarterback had some statements last night. The, uh, the head coach is backing up. Uh, and, and let's talk about the head coach. You know, we could sit here and say, okay, the Matt Patricia experiment failed because he gave up a 92-yard drive for crying out loud. Like he was unable to affect the game against Drew Locke to go 92 yards for the Seattle Seahawks to win that game. Well, let's talk about the head coach because the head coach, Nick Sirianni, is the one who oversees this whole production. He said last night it was his idea to change coordinators. I ain't buying that. But the fact that they had this kind of discord this late in the season is indicative of a panicky team, a team that's not sure of themselves, a team that's no longer confident. So the head coach deserves a lot of the blame. And let's look at the quarterback last night. Because when we look at the failure of an NFL team, we look at the head coach and we usually look at the quarterback. And Jalen Hurts was bad last night. And there's a lot of people who can sit back and say, well, he was he was ill. Yeah, okay. I've seen a lot of players play ill uh, with a better performance than he gave last night. And if he was that ill, he shouldn't have played. And I know you probably didn't have faith in Mariota, but if the, if the guy is not going to be 
All right, let's just say 75% of Jalen Hurts shouldn't have been enough to win that game last night. But guess what? It wasn't. And and we saw him miss receivers all night long. I mean, I don't know. Does the flu symptoms affect your eyeballs? The flu symptoms uh, take you away from the pattern of a play where you know there are certain receivers somewhere. The the, the flu symptoms uh, make you lock in on A.J. Brown when uh, Devontae Smith is wide open coming up on the same play, shorter than where uh, A.J. is. And, and what goes into a decision to throw a bomb that winds up getting intercepted in the end zone to Quez Watkins? A, why? why? Why would you do that at that particular time? It's a bad play call. Secondly, you're trying to do it to Quez Watkins, who you know is not going to fight for a ball. And last night, even though he was probably held on the play, at that point when the ball is thrown short, the receiver has to fight at least to get the defensive back to prevent him from intercepting that pass. And so let's look at the end of the game. It's still with easily in the realm of possibility the Eagles could get the ball in field goal range to tie that game. Why would he throw the ball deep in that particular situation to get it intercepted, again, locking in on A.J. Brown? Now, I don't know if this is decisions this quarterback is making. These are play calls. I don't understand why you would call a couple of those plays and throw the ball deep when when you can move the ball down the field systematically and get yourself in a better position. I, there are so many things that are going on with this team right now uh, are ridiculous. What we saw last night is James Bradbury can't play anymore. Shaq Leonard is completely finished. Sidney Brown, who runs around like like a, a chicken with his with his head cut off, made two horrible plays in the second half. And I know people say, "Well, he's aggressive. I like that. He's athletic and aggressive." Keely Ringo. At that time, they got athletes in there. Okay, but guess what? It's too late now. It's too late to stick rookies in there and expect they're not going to make mistakes like Sidney Brown made last night. The whole thought process of how this team has been coached towards the end of the season has been faulty. And the head coach has to take a lot of blame, and the quarterback has to take a lot of blame. That was disgraceful last night, how they could lose that game. You know, had they won that game 17-13, to 13, we were going to say, boy, that, that yeah, they won, but, man, we're seeing a different team now. This is a team that's lost its fizz. The fact that they lost the game is a double whammy. It's like you got hit over the head with a sledgehammer to think that that team walked down the field on your defense hit two big plays, including a touchdown pass against a veteran corner. I don't know what else to say. I'm exasperated. And I'm sad for the Eagle fans that bought into this season. And I feel duped by this team who said, we, hey, as long as we keep winning, we're good. Good teams survive. Good teams win. We have a resilience. We refuse to lose. And all of it turned out to be a fraud. We bought into it. We put it under the carpet that they were winning these games by the skin of their teeth, thinking that their pedigree is good enough to win, and that was good enough for us. And now the chickens have come home to roost because they are no longer a viable playoff team. And that's the bottom line. So let's bring in producer Darren here for his views. And we're going to be talking a lot about this and dissecting this game and how it went and the ebbs and flows of this game. But Darren, your overall thoughts as you're watching that game. So the, the, 
the reason that I agree with you that it was a loss of hope game is because there's not one issue with this team or two, one or two issues with this team to tinker with. There's not even it's not even one side of the ball. Like on the offensive side of the ball, you've got the quarterback who's clearly regressing. And I kind of feel bad for him. He's on his, what, sixth offensive coordinator when you go back to college in the last six years, six or seven years. That's not easy to overcome. But he's missing guys who are wide open. He's staring guys down. He's not going through his progression. The offensive coordinator hasn't learned a goddamn thing. It's week what now? Week 15? I mean... It, this offense is incredibly predictable. They run the same four plays out of different formations over and over again. It, every Anyone can see what's coming. On the defensive side of the ball, the down four can't get home. They just can't. And don't give me that the quarterback's getting out 2.3 seconds. Drew Locke might, was closer to 4.3 seconds last night than he was to 2.3 seconds last night. Back paddling. You, they just can't get to the quarterback with any level of consistency. They have no talent at the second level. Shaq Leonard, you said it, he's cooked. Morrow made a couple nice plays last night, but he doesn't know how to tackle. I've never seen a middle linebacker not know how to tackle before. He doesn't rap. A middle linebacker that doesn't rap, it's one of the most frustrating things I've ever seen. The deep defensive backs look lost. I mean, it's incredible. You talk about a team where the wheels have just completely fallen off. And this has been deteriorating week to week throughout the season. And you're right. We all bought in. I certainly did. I I mean, if you're going to give you a positive, I think Keely Ringo might be a player. He might be the second best defensive back on the team right now after Slay. I don't know what that's saying. But there's so many problems at the coaching level. But don't and the Patricia thing. I I don't. What are you going to make? Make him call offensive plays next week. He did that last year, right? I mean, it's ridiculous. That was the, the, the 72 hours leading up to last night's game was absolutely ridiculous between the stripping of the play calling but the, and the side keeps the title to, the, you know, to the, the, the timing of Slay getting his knee cleaned to the, and all, you know, the, the Jalen Hurts sick thing, it all just piled on. It was a ridiculous 72 hours leading up to that game. But there are problems at every level on both sides of the ball. I ne- I've never seen anything like this team is completely unrecognizable from what they were last year. Completely unrecognizable. Uh, let me just focus on the head coach because uh, for some reason he uh, is getting soft pedaled here. Uh, because any other coach we have gone hard at that would make mistakes like this. Uh, Sirianni does not call plays because he wants to be the great overseer is what he said. Now we know, and we have been told by people that cover the team that this offense is not Brian Johnson. Brian Johnson is, is doing exactly what Sirianni wants to do. It's Sirianni's offensive game plan. Nick Sirianni keeps running a play that has not worked at all. And that is the tight end screen. And I'm thinking if you're a head coach and you're the overseer, when does it dawn on you that that play is not very successful, that you don't run it properly? Where is the head coaches overseeing when they finally started the game with the blueprint on how you should play offense against Seattle, which is to run the football against them? 
they give up 123 yards per game against the running backs. So that's what they did early on. They have two long drives where one was 11 rushes and five passes, and the other was similar to that. So for some reason, that works, and they go away from it. And they and they use like mindless pass patterns. They did hit a couple slants to AJ Brown, but the overseer is the guy that should say, you know, hey, we we kind of abandoned the run here. Let's get back to it. The overseer is, you know, that uh, that tight end screen. Let's run it in a different way. Let's run it with Swift in space. Whatever uh, alterations they need to make is is what the overseer should should come up with. The overseer, uh, listen, I get it that occasionally you want to take a long ball shot, but when you're moving the ball a certain way, you're throwing away a down there by by throwing that bomb of 60 yards because we haven't seen that work with Quez Watkins ever. And, and then at the end, when you need 12 yards, you need 12 yards. You're the overseer. Ah, we backed ourselves into a corner. I guess we got to play for a field goal, get into overtime, and hope we can win it here. How do we get into overtime? Well, let's throw a couple short patterns to get 12 yards to give our all-pro kicker a chance to tie the freaking game. Why was that play called to go down the field a little bit? This is what the overseer has to figure out and say, no, 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 let's not go with that. Let's go here. But the overseer is lumping up right now. And I know people like his spunk. I think, frankly, it annoys me from time to time. But Nick Sirianni should be taking a lot of the blame for this whole thing as the overseer. It's easy to attack Desai. It's easy to attack Brian Johnson. And it's easy to attack Patricia, who's thrown into that situation. This is the head coach's production. And right now, and I want people to be honest. I want you to look into the future here. Now, they're a double-digit favorite against the Giants at home next week. As bad as they're playing right now, I don't think they're going to lose that game. Could they lose to Arizona in a 1 o'clock game the following week? You're damn right they could. And by the last game, they're probably not going to lose to the Giants, who have no reason to even put their uniforms out there. So that's probably a bop also. So let's just take the best-case scenario. Because Dallas gave them a gift. So now if the Eagles win out, they will still have that tiebreaker over Dallas. And Dallas might lose another game at Miami this weekend. So the number two seed, the percentage they'll get it, is still very high. But are we going to be conned into thinking, wow, they're the number two seed, and here come the playoffs, and they're going to make their run, even as we know that they will play two home games? Are you now confident that the Eagles could win any home game against a team that will come in here like the Rams and then the Detroit Lions? Your answer there. I told you last yesterday, I wasn't confident in this team winning the last three games. I don't have a lot of confidence, confidence in this team to do anything right now. And regarding Sirianni, there's two things that they did really good early on that they have been away from for the last month and a half. One of them was run the ball. The other is throwing the ball between the numbers. They have ignored 60% of the field for the better part of two months. 
They had great success with it early on last last night. Why in God's name did they get away from it? And he has struggled with what we call situational football. Grasping the situation of, of the game at that moment. Like you said, why aren't they just using the middle of the field, controlling the game? There were three moments in that game in the second half where they could get control, keep control, and get a firm grasp on control of the game. And all three times, they take some deep shot down a sideline and ignore the middle of the field. You know, picked off twice. Not I mean, just it, nonsense. It's a lack of awareness of the situation of the game at the moment in time. And you're not even calling plays. It's not like you're distracted. Your only job at that point is to have a firm control of where they are on the field and how much time is left. And those are major, major question marks. I have uh, listen, Nick Sirianni is still young in his coaching tenure. Uh, he could grow as a coach. But I think it's fair to say that this year he has proven not to be a great thinker on his feet because they keep getting off things that work. Their game plan seems haphazard. They play, they, they use plays that clearly they can't run well. Uh, and they make unreal decisions to throw balls when they don't need to throw longer patterns. When, when they see they got control of moving the football, why would they do nonsensical things like that, especially at the end of the game? Because... 12 yards is not a lot to gain to give your field goal kicker a position to to tie the game. I, I, I It's just mind-boggling the way that game developed. I, when I'm texting, when Drew Locke got the ball 92 yards away, I'm texting with a friend saying, Drew Locke ain't doing crap with this. He There is no way that that guy should have been allowed to move his team 92 yards down the field. It, it is totally mind-boggling that they allowed that guy to do it. And, and so I, Pat, Matt Patricia, Sean Desai, it doesn't matter. You, there's no way that that guy can, can be allowed. You, you, need it, like you needed to blitz his ass early on that drive to get him thinking, to make him panic. He's... He, he he's not used to making clutch throws, and they gave him enough time to make throws that that his wide receivers made two great catches on. Um, getting back to what you had just said previous to that, Mike, they're so bad. They're one of the worst teams I have ever seen. This Eagles team at running screens, they're so they, bad. They at they, they, they occasionally they run a screen to the running back that worked. They don't run the screen to the running back. They run it to the tight end. I, I, time screen, and time again, it's like. That play is not a good play. Get it out of your playbook. You have all week to work on designing screenplays that use other personnel that have a better design, and they don't do it. All right, let's let's walk through this game because there's there's much to sort through. Uh, so the the Eagles start out on an opening drive, which is pretty impressive. Now they're running the football, and Gainwell even gets some pretty good runs. They make two third down conversions. They were both third and long on the opening drive. And Hertz gets the quarterback draw for a TD. Easy peasy, right? 15 plays, 10 of them were rushes, 75 yards. They eat up eight minutes and 30 seconds on the clock. They're up 7 nothing, And Seattle punts on their first drive. And I'm going, okay, well, here we go. 
But then the Eagles punt, and then Seattle punts again. And, and believe me, this was a painful game to watch. There was no pizzazz in this game whatsoever. It, it was like my my eyeballs were were uh, were weeping with, with boring football in that first half. Uh, so now the Eagles uh, drive to they get the next drive to their eighteen. Fourth and three completion for the first down gets them to the 12. Uh, And then it's third and uh, six at the eight. Swift is stopped, and they have to settle for a field goal. Um, 16 plays, 63 yards, 11 runs, and five passes. But in in the end of that drive, Jason Kelsey, false start for moving the ball ahead a foot and a half. Now, he knows better than that. He's been called on that a lot. What's that, Jason? Listen, I know you're a great player. You'll go down in history as one of the Eagles' great players. That's a horrible penalty. Horrible. And and so instead of a touchdown, they get a 10-0 lead. But they're still good because it's Drew Locke on the other side. I'm waiting for for Peter Carroll to to yell into the locker room, Gino, put your freaking pads on. I can't take this with half a groin. We, we need you here. We got to win this game. Um, so uh, the Seattle drives right before the half. Uh, they they get um, get it to uh, the Jigba completion for a first down. And, and the stat is the Eagles have allowed TDs in, in the red zone in 10 straight drives. So we're going, uh-oh. Uh, but uh, on fourth down and four, uh, they they tried to 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 get the the uh, and the jump on that play, and, and they gave it up. Pete Carroll gave it up. I'm like, ah, dude, you got to lose here. You're gonna get him to jump. That's how you're gonna get this first down instead of uh, of, of uh, executing a play. But they're so afraid that their quarterback can't execute a play that they have to do to high school. Let's see if we can get him to jump off sides, which they don't. And so he decides to kick a field goal. That's weak sauce. All right, that's 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 throwing up a flag in a lot of ways. It's ten to three as they go into halftime, and I'm going, boy, they yeah, missed an opportunity there. Now in the second half, Seattle scores on their first drive, and I'm going, oh boy, first drive, they go uh, a two tight end set in the backfield, uh, and Kenneth Walker, who crushed them all game long, uh, runs 23 yards in a horrible bite by Sidney Brown. And then he just went outside him and scored the touchdown, ten to ten. But then the Eagles, like the Eagles of old, had an answer. For most of the year this year, they've had an answer. So they do put forth an answer with a really nice drive. Hurts hits Devontae on a big play where he rolled out. They get the tush push for the TD to make it seventeen to ten. Now there was a third and nine completion there by Hurts. Good throw to A.J. Brown. It was the second and 13 for 10 to Goddard, and then it was the third and three where he rolled right and hit Devontae for 17 yards, which got the ball to the Seattle nine. Swift ran for eight to the one. The tush push is not going to be stopped. They were three for three on third down on that drive. They've got command at 17 to 10, and there is where their defense should lock it up, and they should especially lock it up after Seattle, the only thing they can get in the fourth quarter is a field goal to make it 17 to 13. Uh, and the pass that was intercepted to Quez Watkins 
Seattle really didn't do anything with that. Right? It was a bad look and, and, uh, because the Eagles really could have put the ball away, put the game away offensively. But that particular interception didn't lead to any points for Seattle. And so they got them right where they want them. 92 yards away with a minute and a half left in the game. And they lose the game. And I, I, I just, anybody who was watching the game, your guts had to come out of you. Uh, the way they lost that game, I mean, 92 yards. I mean, that guy took you 92 yards, and you allow that kid. He can't play dead, Drew Locke. And and he's celebrating you know, the gunslinger arm, and I'm going, oh, my God, this guy beat him? This guy beat him. I'm going, they're going to win this game 17-13, to 13, and my conclusion was going to be, boy, if Geno Smith had played in this game, Seattle would have won the game. Instead, Drew Locke wins the game. It's incredulous. I, I really, I never, like you, I never in a million years thought he would take them down 92 yards. And, and the first couple plays, like, they were all over him. But then the defensive backfield just fell apart. I mean, it really is a shame to see Bradbury, like, man, he didn't slowly deteriorate this season. He fell off the continental shelf. I mean, I, you know, and I don't know, like, I know they were asking a lot of him early on in the season. They wanted him to, to be a mentor to the young guys. They had him play in the slot, which he didn't do a lot in his career early in the year. You know, and I don't know. And 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 the other thing, too, is like the Eagles lost their defensive backs coach this offseason. He, he wanted the defensive coordinator job, Denard Wilson, I think his name is. When they didn't give it to him, he walked and took the same job with the Ravens. Mm-hmm. And the defensive backfield has not been the same since he's left. And, you know, that's another one in a long line of, Coaching miscues, whether it be decisions to hire the right guy, the wrong guy. Um, Steichen leaving obviously was huge. But, like, the, the coaching staff of this team, as bad as, as these players have seemed to either deteriorate or lose ability, it's the coach, assistant coaching staff particularly. And I'll tell you, I think Sirianni gets a pass from some people because people are starting to catch on that he's he's – he may just be more of a puppet than anything else. The, one of my problems with this team is, and I call them dysfunctional at times because there's too many cooks in the kitchen. I mean, glory is a meddling owner. Jerry Jones gets all the, the slack for being a meddling owner. I'm going to tell you, Jeffrey Lurie is as meddling these days, if not more, Mike Roseman is a meddling GM. He's who's by the way, made some God awful personnel decisions this year. So, you know, all right, they, they like meddle. That. I agree with you. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie, I called him last night. He's uh, he's Jerry Jones behind a green door is what yeah. he is. Uh, yeah, and exactly. he, he doesn't let, let people see him, but he, he is. Me- and, and most of the time they meddle over their fascination with analytics. So let's I'm glad you brought up Howie Roseman because Howie Roseman in this this year was like, uh, you know, he he spits ice cream this year, earlier this year. Oh, my God. Look how brilliant. Howie Roseman is. Let, let's now, the, the chickens have come home in the roost, as I said earlier. Um, let's look at, at some of the things that have now are visibly hurting the Eagles. Uh, and you, you mentioned um, they signed both Bradbury and Slay. They committed to Bradbury first, uh, and then they committed to Slay. And they didn't commit to C.J. Gardner-Johnson who a, a guy who did bring thunder and aggression. He's a little nuts, but he at least brought that. So they decided to go with those two cornerbacks. And I guess crossing their fingers that 
cornerbacks that are 30 and over will still be at the top of their game. It's clear that Bradbury has hit a wall and cornerbacks sometimes lose it like that all of a sudden, just like running backs do. The the TJ Edwards thing, they balked at six million dollars to sign him. Okay. So but they didn't really have a replacement. They they had hoped it would be Nicobe Dean, but even they weren't sure Nicobe Dean, because he really hadn't shown him anything. So that's mismanagement. The CJ Garner thing and signing the two corners was mismanagement. And, and, and from that moment on, you've got now a discombobulated defense because now you're not playing rookies. And now you have to play them this late in the season when they're going to make those mistakes that you can't afford to have make. And so you throw in a buyer, you throw in another aftermarket part like Roby. And aftermarket parts do not work. There is a reason why those parts are available. Shaq Leonard, Roby, and Bayard. And they really have not made a difference. And this is all under Howie's blanket. So while we're, we're, we're fanciful and we like to laud him for his brilliance, the breakdown on defense is directly correspondent to Howie Roseman's judgment and maybe even Jeffrey Lurie's. Am I right or wrong? You're 100% right. I'm trying to think what the last good move that Howie made was, and I think it's probably drafting Jalen Carter, but even that was a gift in the lap, you know, for him. So, yeah, his personnel decisions, and people lauded him in the past for for good trades, and, and the last couple drafts have been better. And let's go but to the Denard Wilson point. year. The dismal year. The Denard the, the Wilson point is a good point. Because the players liked him. The players really supported his candidacy yeah. for defensive coordinator. But because they were so enamored with the Fangio way, they, and, and Denard Wilson was going to be half Fangio and half Denard Wilson concepts, they panicked. And this is where Lurie comes in. Lurie is enamored with Fangio. Therefore, Roseman is enamored with Fangio. So they had to get a Fangio. And Sean Desai was the closest thing they could get. And now it comes to the point where they have to replace him this late in the season, and that's going to go smoothly because every question now is going to be to the heck, why'd you do that? Well, last night he got bombarded with questions about, well, who made the decision? Why'd you do that? Well, don't you think that's going to cause some discord? Don't you to have some discipline? Um, as a coach, I'm responsible for doing what I think is best for the your sister's ass. That that was a conversation with the owner who panicked. It was uh, he he's Jerry Jones and he's also Ed Snyder, a, a kinder Ed Snyder that has to put his imprint on this. It's incredible to me that this team next season, Mike. A a Super Bowl contender for hopefully the third year in a row. As long as they have Hurts and they've got some of those weapons and some of those players in the defensive line, they're going to contend for a Super Bowl. But this next year will likely be the third year in a row where they have both a new offensive and defensive coordinator. And look, I know when teams win, those guys get poached. That's not the case this time. It's bad decisions. Gannon was a bad decision as a defensive coordinator. Both coordinators this season are are bad decisions. Gannon and looks like a genius now. 
with what he did with that defense <laughs> last year. And, and Shane Steichen, I guess they miss him more than we thought they oh, would they miss him. They definitely miss Steichen. They definitely miss Steichen, Mike. Yeah. He, but he, but he's you know, Canada's defenses were ranked pretty high in the league. Uh, so, yeah. And I know people didn't like him because he wasn't ultra-aggressive. His numbers were fine. I, he's probably not a good head coach. But uh, yeah. here's what they, they, they have lost. It's, it's obvious that this team has lost its fizz. They used to have some fizz. Yeah, I know they were winning games by the skin of their teeth. Maybe we should pay more attention to that as an indication of how good they were overall. But they've lost juice. You look at them, they don't look like the same team. They, they're flat soda right now. And so with flat soda, I, I, I guess you can lose one more game to an inferior team. But the only game I could see that happening is maybe Arizona catching a, a wave. But I still don't think that's going to happen. I still think they're going to win the remaining three games because the last game you can just dismiss with, with the Giants. Uh, and this game coming up is at home, and Tommy DeVito now got pounded last week. He lost a little bit of his luster. So unless Kyler Murray has some all-world all, all, all day, they're going to end up with four losses and they're going to get the number two seed. Yeah, I got to double-check, but I think Cutlets is actually in uh, concussion protocol this week. Saints beat him up. Yeah, he'll, he'll come back, though. I, interestingly enough, Tommy Cutlets. I, I listen. <laughs> the, 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 he uh, they, he was supposed to make an appearance at yeah, a this uh, is at a local uh, bakery or something. And uh, uh, it was an Italian rush, a family like little Italian yeah, rush. And, and so his fee, he he originally charged him ten grand, and since he got the Tommy Cutlets thing. He uh, upped the uh, he upped the ante to twenty grand. <laughs> he's like he said, "No, no, it's going to cost you more now." This is before he That's got that creep pounded, agent before he got pounded last week. I, you know, if I was the if I was the, the restaurant or whatever it is, I go, "Guess what? You'll take five and like it." Yeah, <laughs> yeah I'll give you five. How about five there, Tommy? <laughs> <laughs> All right, so so here's where we stand, folks. Uh, I I feel you. Because it happened to me last night. I, for the first time, uh, last night, uh, I said, listen, I didn't think it was going to be San Francisco. Okay, so I thought it, it could very well end up in an NFC title game in San Fran. So I didn't have any hopes for a Super Bowl. But now I've lost complete hope for them to win a game. They, they are not reliable enough now for you to say, ooh, home playoff game? Wow, they're going to be, they're going to be hell to pay. They're going to be solid favorites to win that game. I can no longer say that because any team they could face in the playoffs could beat them in the first game of the playoffs. And if they limp out of here losing the first game of the playoffs, forget about the second because I think Detroit Lions right now will eat them alive. But the first game in the playoffs, they get they limp out. After the way this season started, at 10-1 and with a complete upset that the Jets won, they should have been undefeated at 11-0, it has evolved into this where you can't even recognize this team anymore. And that's the truth. That's the facts. So is there a resurgence on the horizon? My God, I don't see it. I don't know what could possibly happen to make this team have a resurgence with the way their defense is so discombobulated, with the way their offense just shuts down, with the way the quarterback is playing. He's back to being uncertain. And he has regressed. From his year last year, where he had confidence, he no longer looks like a confident quarterback. So, Darren, you tell me in your crystal ball how this season now evolves. 
I think you hit it. I mean, I told you yesterday I didn't have a whole lot of confidence in the, in the remaining three games. I think they're going to lose one of them. No, they might still get the number two seat. To number two seat because to? Dallas is going to get Let's, trucked again this week by Miami. They can't possibly lose to the Giants. They, for, they probably a, not this week. I, you think that last game, like they're going to lose two out of three weeks to a team that, first of all, the Eagles aren't beaten. They're not a gimme over any team right they're, now. I'm they're, sorry. They're, they're, they're a gimme over the Giants for circumstantial reasons. They, they, they're, they're a 10-and-a-half-point favorite next week at home. And, and they're they, licking they their wounds. Tough. They will show a little bit of fight to beat a bad team. Arizona could be trouble. But the last game, the yeah. Giants have just – the Giants have their golf bags in the locker room. Maybe. Uh, yeah, I guess. I'm not going to tell you. I'm what, not where are the Giants going to fight in that last game? What do they have to fight in that because last game? Because they hate the Eagles. Because they beat the crap. The Eagles beat the crap out of them three yeah, times. All right. man, I, listen, man, I, again, I can't discount anything. I, I do think the That's Eagles I mean. will win the last three games. But it doesn't make me feel any better. It doesn't make no, me, me feel neither. better they're going to win the last three games and get to number two I, seed. We, they are what I'm they are. You are. We have seen what they are now. And they're not a team good enough to really contend. I'm where you are. If they play like last night, any team is coming is beating them in the first round. Any team. The Bucks. The Bucks looked pretty good yesterday, actually, or Sunday. Uh, yeah, I have no confidence in them winning any playoff game. I'm not going to feel overly confident. The quarterback said last yeah. night that they're not committed. Too much not, to they're not fully committed. And uh, yeah, I got a bunch of empty talk from him. It is. It, it's always empty talk from him, but. I would have liked to have him put himself in the equation because he didn't look fully committed last night. And I'm not going to look at the – well, he was always feeling good. There are a lot of guys that don't feel good, man, that 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 play. That's not an injury. That's a, that's a mindset where, you know, how many guys play through flu-like symptoms or whatever he was going through? You, you, the, the adrenaline this kicks time in and wipes everybody. out the sickness. It's, it's like when Sonny Corleone told uh, Paulie, uh, hey, get a little brandy, sweat it out. Right, that's what you do on a, on a football field. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah, man, everybody plays sick this time. All right, right folks, listen. Um, thanks for listening. We had to do this podcast as soon as we could after this game. Uh, so hopefully, you uh, and I know you feel the same way that we do. I know that when you're going to hear this podcast and hear the things we said, you're thinking the same things, and you couldn't help but think the same things. I, uh, I, I was literally stunned. That a, a caliber quarterback like Drew Locke could take th- this is how far they've fallen. That that guy who stinks, right? He stinks. Uh, they, he stinks so bad they were afraid to throw a pass beyond five yards. The, the head coach was telling you he stinks. And that guy took the Seattle Seahawks down the field 92 freaking yards in a game winning situation. And if that doesn't encapsulate what the Eagles are right now, I don't know what does. Folks, have a great rest of the week. Uh, I will be uh, out for the rest of the week in Gaga land, probably whacked on painkillers because I have knee surgery tomorrow. So this is the last time, uh, the last podcast for the week. But uh, I will be rebounding to do uh, the podcast with Darren following the Christmas game against the New York Giants. And maybe we'll be singing a happy tune by then. And maybe I'll be singing a happy team because I'll be whacked on Percocets. So in any event, 
Merry Christmas, Mike. Merry Christmas to you and everybody else out there. We appreciate you listening. Tell your friends and neighbors about the Mike Missinelli podcast, which is brought to you by Bet Rivers. You can send me emails. I'll still answer your emails in whacked condition. Mike at MikeMiss.com. You can catch me on Twitter at MikeMiss25. And, uh, of course, don't forget uh, uh, my, my children's book, The Adventures of Shima the Sheba, will make a great Christmas present. All you got to do is go to Amazon.com. And 20% of all proceeds from the book will go to animal shelters, which I, I love to donate uh, to during uh, Christmas time. It's a very uh, worthy cause. Uh, and also Cameo. You want a Christmas shout-out? This would be fun. I'll give you a Christmas shout out, whack to the gourd. How about that? Put that in a time capsule. Now that now that's that's a piece right there, isn't it, Darren? Fresh out of oh, surgery. Oh, he sent me a cameo. Yeah, <laughs> happy Christmas, everybody. He's whack to the gourd. <laughs> uh, have a great rest of the night, everybody. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks. Bye bye. Thanks for listening to the Mike Bissinelli podcast on the Bet Rivers Network.